Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with, with my whole heart, in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome in his name, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Isaiah 48 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that it does stand forever. We thank you that it's faithful, and we thank you that it is what we need. And so, Lord, we rest in it, knowing that it is from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, church, have a seat. Thank you for standing for that. Hey, just real quick, if you saw us setting up an iPad over here, what, what that is, uh, every, every week, we don't stream to, to just the whole world anymore, but we have a sister in Wales, um, Madeline. Bradley is in Wales, and so she asked if we could just stream to her. She's part of, the, of a church there right now, but she said, I just miss my, my church family. And so we streamed to her, and so that's what that is. Um, if you're just like, what is, what's going on? That's, that's what's going on right there. That's good. Hey, uh, we're in, in Psalm 111 this morning, um, taking a detour from Matthew, and uh, we're actually going to be in just something to look forward to. This, this summer, we're going to be in a series um, called the Summer, and I think we're calling it Summer in the Psalms. Um, which is uh, going to walk us through the Psalms of Ascent. Um, Very, very good. Looking forward to that this summer. But Psalm 111 um, this morning. What a great passage. What a wonderful, wonderful passage. Hey, can you practice something with me real quick? Um, How many of you grew up um, with a phone that you don't touch the screen? Okay. It had a cord? Yeah. Well, past that, we're... Not, we're, we're past the cord point. That's right. I'm, I'm falling right here in between cords and touchscreens. Uh, cell phones. <laughs> cell phones with buttons on them. How many, how many of y'all grew up with cell phones with buttons on them, like with texting? Hey, that was my era. That was my era of, of getting a cell phone where you had to type in things. And that, you know, when T9 came out, you didn't have to, you know, type in everything five times for one letter and then you know, three times for another. You could even start to text behind your back if you were really good at it. Um, um, that kind of stuff. You had, to, you had to come up, and there's still these, these short, short little um, um, sayings that go in with, with texting. Practice this with me. Hey, what does BTW stand for? By the way. Very good. Um, what does OMW stand for? Oh, there's a couple. Someone said, oh, my word. Uh, I typically say, oh, on my way, right? Uh, let's see. What's, what's, another, what's another common one that you, that you might text out there. LOL, laugh out loud. Um, there's, there's one, I think there's on, on the BRB, be right back. Very good. What about this? PTL. Praise the Lord. Everybody, everybody kind of knows that one, right? That's good. That's good. Hey, this is a PTL passage um, that we're in right now. 
Um, and, and, and unlike maybe just a quick PTL that you might send out, which is not, I don't think is irreverent to just say PTL real quick in a text message, especially whenever it's uh, attributed to the works of God and we're, we're praising God together with something in, in a group me. Our church has lots of group me's and, uh, and, and, and text messages and stuff like that. Um, that's just a real quick response, PTL, um, of, of, of praising God for what he's doing. Uh, but what we wanna look at this morning in this passage um, is that praising the Lord is, is, is so much more than just a quick text, right? So much more than just a three-letter three um, little phrase that we send out. Uh, man, this is, something, this is something very, very, very good and very profound that we'd be, ab- that we'd be able to praise the Lord for what he does. Um, in our, Sunday, or sorry, our Wednesday morning study group, when we were reading this, we just read it through the first time. Um, like we always do, um, we start off with the word. And someone said, well, I think it may have been right. Well, you could just read that and walk off the stage and you'd be good, I think. Um, because, because this psalm is such, such a heartfelt, um, such an amazing song, um, just, just talking about the praise of the Lord and the works of the Lord and all these things. Um, but I'm, we're not just reading it and walking off the stage, although we could this morning. We wanna dive a little deeper into it together. So this morning, um, I would love for us to look at three things. That is the praise of the Lord, the works of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord. Um, and we're gonna dive into that just a little bit more um, as we do this. And so, um, as I said, this is a psalm of praise. Let's start off in verse, in verse one. The writer says this. He says, praise the Lord. In my Bible, there's an exclamation point there. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Man, first of all, did, did you notice here that the author starts out with, I will. I will praise the Lord. There's this, there's this determination here. There's this, there's this mindset. He's made the decision here to praise God. It's not something that just always comes naturally. He makes the decision here from what he knows and what, what he's seen. I will praise the Lord. He's determined here. He's made up his mind. I will praise the Lord. It's important for us, I believe, not to miss who he's directing this at either. Um, if, you, if you're looking at your Bible, some translations may actually put it out as Yahweh, but, but what, what, this, what, this, what this songwriter is writing to, who he's praising here, in most of your translations, it may say a, a capital L-O-R-D, right? Um, which means Yahweh. I think it's, it's vitally important for us to realize who he's praising here, amen? This is, this is not just some God out in the, you know, out in the, out in the world, this is not some God just out in the, in the ether. This is, this is Yahweh, this is I am, the God of all creation, the God of all time, the God of all space, from beginning to end, this is the one we're praising right here. And then he describes here how the Lord is to be praised. He emphasizes that the Lord is worthy of deepest praise. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with what? with my whole heart, with my whole heart. Hey, this is not a praise offered up partially or distracted or, or half-heartedly, right? This is, this, is a, this is a whole heart kind of thing. It's, it's a thankfulness with the fullness of his heart. This kind of praise is, is all in, right? It's deeply thankful to God. This kind of praise is, is from the innermost and, and central part of a person, from the very depths of him, it's the praise that overflows from his heart. You know, you know what kind of praise I'm talking about? When you're filled up and you can't just help, but overflow from the deepest 
part of you. That's what this praise is. And this emphasis on the heart also points this, I believe, to the fact that God is worthy, not of just a deep praise, but, but also a, a personal praise, right? God is, God is worthy of a personal praise. The psalm writer is letting us know that his praise is not just lip service or a, or a facade that he puts on sometimes when he's around people. No, this is, this is a deep personal worship with, within him. This is something so real and, 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 and something that he is so convinced of that he praises the Lord with his heart. You catch that too? He praises him with his heart, not just my lips, not just what I do, but with my heart from the very central and deepest part of me. I'm gonna praise the Lord with the fullness of my heart. I'm gonna praise him when I'm alone. I'm gonna praise him with every part of me. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It doesn't stop with the whole heart and personal praise. He goes on to say that he will praise the Lord in the company of the upright and in the congregation. Nathan said it just a minute ago when we were talking about our praise to worship, uh, praise, uh, our, our call to worship. When we think about praise, church, when we think about praise, our knee-jerk reaction should not just be personal praise. It should be part of it. But hey, there's something amazing and powerful and intentional and good and right in praising God in the congregation of his people. This is what God's people do together. This is what we were made to come together to do is to give thanks to God, not to one another necessarily. We, we thank one another, but all the glory goes to God, right? This is who we are as a people. We are God's people. This is what his people do. We gather together to pray. So when we talk about forsaking the, the gathering of, of, of the believers, that's what we're talking about. We, we, don't, we don't just hide away in a hole somewhere and praising God and say, I think I'm good. We're not hermit people. We're people that gather together to praise God. We share with one another. Can I just tell you? Can I just tell you the goodness of God in my life? Because I need to hear that from you. We need to hear that from one another, right? We need to hear about what God is doing. Here, our, our men's retreat this past weekend, we got to hear stories. We got to hear stories of men that, that just wanted to praise God and thank him for how he has carried them through life to where they are now. Not only that, to thank God for where he has promised to take them in the future, that he gives them a hope. We praise God together for that. This is what the church does. The Lord is worthy of praise. It says, and I will praise him. Among some, and maybe just with some friends at all times, I will praise him among many. He is worthy of praise. So I praise him by myself, with my family, with my church, with the people of God. I will praise him at all times and in all things. You know, just as David said, in, in Psalm 34, I love this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. By myself, among others, among the church, his praise should always be on our lips. Right, church? This is the kind of praise we're talking about. This is the kind of deep, personal, outward, inward praise. Every part of us, full and overwhelming. You see where he's going with this? It's not just a once a week praise service, which is good, right? This is good. We don't forsake this day. It's not just this, but it's much more. So much more. It's a 24-7 all in, in solitude, with others, heartfelt outpouring of praise. This is the kind of praise that, 
that we, church, should desire to have, right? The Lord is worthy of that praise. Hey, notice this. He is, he is so worthy. Catch this. He is so worthy of that praise that even, even if and when we don't praise him, his praise continues and actually lasts forever. He actually ends the psalm. We're gonna, we're gonna jump to the very last line of the psalm. We're starting at one. We're gonna go to the very end of 10, just real quick. You ready? At the very end, what, is, what does that last phrase say? His praise endures forever. So it it's starts with a praise and it ends with a praise, but there's something different here in this last part that I think we should catch. This last praise endures forever actually stands independent of humanity. You catch that? If it endures forever, it actually endures beyond us. It goes and it lasts and endures. It stands firm. It lasts forever. The praise of the Lord endures forever, meaning it does not actually need us. It is not dependent on us. It lasts beyond us, and it will stand fast even if we do not praise God. It holds fast even when humanity obstinately refuses to give praise to the God who is worthy of praise. It stands, it lasts, it continues. Even though it stands independent of us, God is still so worthy of the praise. He's so worthy that well, hey, let me, let me give you this definition. Rick pointed this out to me this past week. I'm really attributing Rick. Rick just kind of wrote my sermon for me. Just thank you, Rick. <laughs> Truly, amen. The, the, the way our sermons sometimes come together is, is a group effort, and I'm very thankful for that, that we don't stand alone in this. But Rick pointed this out. I love this definition. Rick is our, our Strong's guy. He looked up this definition in Strong's. Listen to this definition, that praise is actually demanded by qualities or deeds or attributes of God. It's demanded by the qualities or deeds or attributes of God. Who God is and what God does is not only deserving of praise, it's not only fitting that we give him praise, his person and works justly, righteously, and authoritatively demand praise. God will be praised. Hey, a couple weeks ago, we, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday. Do you remember what it says when Jesus was coming into the town on the donkey? And the, I think that's that passage, right? Where the Pharisees, the teacher said, hey, you need to make sure that these people just quiet down a little bit. And he said, hey, if, if these people don't praise me, what's gonna happen? The rocks will cry out and praise me. Do you catch that? What, what an amazing sight that would be to see rocks actually cry out. This is the kind of praise that God demands. He is wor so worthy of praise that even if humanity does not, it will last because it demands praise. His qualities, his works are deserving and demanding of praise. It's just what comes out of it. So let's look at what demands his praise, right? Let's look at what praise endures forever. This next kind of section here, let's look for a moment at the works of the Lord. What kind of works are worthy of this kind of praise? First of all, God's works are so great that they actually give, to, they give delight to those who love them. And they're so great that they cause people to study them again and again, being drawn in and brought further 
into the study of his word and further delight and understanding in his greatness. His work is beautiful, it's excellent, glorious, full of splendor and majesty, and his majestic works are good and righteous. His works are wondrous and full of grace and mercy. And because of that, because they are full of grace and mercy, they are remembered forever. His works are provisional, covenantal. His works are powerful and evident, giving an inheritance of the nations to his people. Works of the Lord are faithful, they're just, and his teachings are trustworthy. His works are redemptive. This is the kind of work that is worthy of praise, the works of God. These are works that should actually cause our hearts to fill up and overflow with thankfulness. So my question is, do they? Have you thought about that? Do they cause your heart to fill up with praise and thankfulness? They should. They should cause us to meditate on his word, always increasing in our love and gratitude, thankfulness and praise of his magnificent works, filling us with delight. Let's take a look at this one more time. Can, you, can we look at this one more time just for a second, these works? Starting in verse two, the works of the Lord are great and studied by those who delight in them. Hey, this should, this should be true for all of us, right, church? The works of the Lord should, should cause us to study them and delight in them. It's a good question for us. Are we delighting in the great works of the Lord? Are we meditating on them? Are we renewing our minds on them? Hey, that was a common thread I saw throughout our men's retreat this past week. Praising God that he, he allows us to renew our mind on him. And when we do renew our minds on the truths of him, it gives us delight. It builds us up. So are we doing it? Because we know that when we do, it actually stirs our affections for the Lord. When we meditate on his word, it's so good. He goes on, his work is beautiful, it's excellent, it's glorious. It says he's full of splendor and majesty. And his majestic works are good and righteous. Meaning his work is not done with wrongful intent or created for unjust gain. You know, often as, as our works are, often lead to pride and created for just a gain that is not worthy of praise. His works are righteous and just. And their righteousness will always stand sure. They're unshaken. They endure forever. This is the kind of works that is worthy of praise. His works are wondrous because they are full of grace and mercy. Why? Because he is full of grace and mercy. It's who he is, right? It's by his grace that he's caused his works to actually be remembered and recorded. Aren't you so thankful that God has given us a way to, to remember his good works through the mouth of many and through the, through the inspiration of his spirit to record things that we can look at this and remember. We can remember. That's a grace and a mercy that God's given us by his word to show us so we, do, so we don't forget because I easily forget. What a grace of God to do that. His works are loving. They're faithful and full of provision for his people. He is covenantal and remembers his covenant with his people forever never forgetting it, never acting contrary to it, never breaking his promises, even when his people break their promises to him. Isn't that amazing? He's so faithful that even when his people break their promises to him, his covenant stands forever. His works are powerful. They're evident. 
They lead and they guide his people to a good inheritance of the nations. He delivers them. You know those stories. Man, Exodus, he, he delivers his people. And time and time again after that, just delivers them out of all sorts of things, delivering them from adversaries that defy God. At the same time, in this inheritance, he brings in outsiders to be a part of the family of God. He brings people in. He's not just a God that shuns people out. He brings people in to the family of God. That's powerful. The works of the Lord are faithful and they're just. Hey, I'm just running through this list that we're going through here. The works of the Lord are faithful and they're just. Every instruction and teaching of his is trustworthy. His instructions and his commands are firm and steady. They're established forever. They don't move. They're not moving. They're not going anywhere. Contrary to man's laws, they last forever. Isn't that the the opposite of what the world teaches? Man, things are always changing, right? Believe this, believe that. We don't even know. Our world doesn't even know what truth is. Truth can be whatever you want, not God's. God's doesn't change. His instructions, his commandments are sure. They don't waver. They don't change. His truth is the only truth. Aren't you thankful for that? Lastly, his works are redemptive. They not only make people, they're not only making and keeping his covenant, but, but, but whenever his covenant with his people is, is falling short on there and he actually keeps their part of the covenant. You know, when God was walking with Abraham, making his covenant with him, he actually walked both paths for him. Saying, hey, whenever you fall short, I'm gonna meet you there. I'm gonna keep your part of it as well. He redeems people, even whenever they fall short. This is the God, I'll say it again, this is a God worthy of our praise. These works demand praise from us and all creation. And the God who performed these works that we have recorded is actually the same God who is continuing to do works today. I, I, don't wanna, I don't want us to miss something here. We have these recorded for us to remember and recall and praise God for. But we can't read a passage like this and come to a conclusion, whether subconsciously or, or consciously, that God did great works, that he just did great works. Now, when we see a passage like this, it should actually stir our hearts and open our eyes to see that God is doing great works among us right now. God is doing great works in his creation and among his people right now. God's works of grace and mercy are still extremely, they're still an extremely wondrous thing to behold, right? We must not become relaxed or forget how a holy God sent his perfect son to die for us. People who don't deserve grace, right? I don't deserve grace, I don't deserve mercy. And isn't that a wondrous thing that God still does that right now? That, that when he actually sent Jesus, it, it wasn't just for that one moment in time, it's for every moment right now. And his grace is so wondrous that it passes all time. And forgives me even now, and the sins I commit today, sins I committed yesterday, the sins I'll commit tomorrow. Man, it's a forgiving God. What a wonderful work of God to do that. He's working today. 
We can't miss the fact that every day that we enjoy food, every day that we have clothes, every day that he gives us his good and perfect gifts, that it's actually evidence that God still has provision and works in our lives, amen? This is God worthy of praise. And, and every day that we still sin and hurt the, hurt the heart of God, we remember that he is forgiving and he keeps his covenant with us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The works of God are not only something recorded in the past, they're present and active, enduring forever. So good. This testimony, this testimony and, and, and the belief of who he is, who God is, should not only cause us to stand in awe and thankfulness, right? It should cause us to be thankful and to stand in awe at the great works of God. But it should actually do more than that. It, it actually shapes us, church. It moves us. It, it changes us into a different people, it changes us into his people. Let's take, let's take a look at, at, uh, at verse 10 real quick. You ready? You're like, wow, we're already at verse 10? Yeah. We'll be here for a minute, though. And this testimony is something we're looking at here. Verse 10, the author finishes his praise of God and his works. And in light of this, he says what? He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So lastly, I want us to look at this, the fear of the Lord. And this concept uh, of fearing the Lord, this concept of fearing the Lord um, and it being the beginning of wisdom has actually been on my heart in my mind a lot lately. And a few questions come up. Um, they may come up in your mind and heart too when you hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord, and how it's the beginning of wisdom. Um, first of all, first of all, what, is, what does the fear of the Lord actually mean? What does it actually mean? And, and I think in its most concise definition and, and, and according to what context we're here, we're at here in the text, here's, here's what I think we can, we can conclude about the fear of the Lord. It means to have a holy reverence of God. A holy reverence of God. Now, now some might take that as, as strictly having a fear of God and his holiness or, or even his wrath. Um, and, and I actually believe that that's a part of it. Um, fearing the Lord, having a fear of the Lord is actually a part of this. It's implied in this, especially when it comes to his holiness that the holiness of God is so great. For example, I've heard it, I've heard it put this way about God's holiness. Um, the sun, okay? Every, every, every week when we drive here, me and my son look, we're driving like right into the sun in the morning about 7.30. And he's like, oh, it's blinding my eyes. You know, for, for instance, the sun. The sun's good, right? It gives us light. It gives us life. It gives us warmth. The sun's a really good thing. It's good. But we would be foolish. We'd be foolish not to be a little bit fearful of the sun, right? There's a healthy respect of the power that it holds, especially us guys with a few less follicles on our head. Hey, don't, don't laugh too much. You know what happened to Elisha whenever they made fun of a pastor who, uh, he got eaten by bears. They got eaten by bears, so... Don't laugh at the bald guy. Right, Neil? Yeah. Hey, the sun, the sun is something we should have a healthy respect of, right, church? In the same way, in a similar way, the holiness of God is good. It's so good. But it's also something to be revered 
and feared in a way. We don't fear God the same way that, that those who don't have his son do, though, do we? We don't, we don't actually look at the holiness of God in our, in our, our as fearful um, because, because we don't fear God the way that some think of God as, as a powerful, um, impersonal, detached figure who waits for his servants to bring him offerings, and if they don't, you know, he might smite them. That's not the kind of God that, that we have a holy reverence for. No, we actually sit in, in the awe of a God who is, who is extremely invested and cares for his people. Yes, we should believe that God is just and, and, and that when his wrath is poured out on some, it is righteous and just, but we should also be humbled and thankful to our God who is full of grace and mercy. We should have a holy reverence for the God who is, who is righteous, just, eternal. He's also our redeemer and our, and our sustainer. This is the God that is to be revered. This is holy reverence, the fear of the Lord, and it's actually the beginning of all wisdom. And my, my community group just actually went through the book of, of Proverbs, and when I think of wisdom, my first, my first thought goes to Proverbs, right? Um, I don't know about you, that's where I usually typically go to when I think about wisdom. My community group just went through this, and, and I asked them, I said, hey, what, what's just a, a real quick definition? What do you think wisdom actually is? And they had several answers. Here's some of them real quick. Someone said, uh, the application of knowledge. Someone said, wisdom is, is action out of truth. That's good. Wisdom is a, is a higher understanding. Or wisdom is skillful living. Those are, those are pretty good, right? Who, who doesn't want wisdom? Who's not seeking for wisdom? Who at the, at the chance would not take wisdom into their life? Something we, we all want, something we need. But where can we actually find wisdom? Hey, who do you, what's, who's someone in the Bible when you think about wisdom? Hold on real quick. Someone said Job. Someone said Solomon. Hey, let's go look at what Job says. Job 28. Someone turn there real quick. I'm real tempted just to read all of Job 28 right now. Are you guys okay with that? Doesn't matter. I'm up here. I can do what I want. <laughs> Not anything I want. Job 28. Let's just, let's at least read part of this. Job 28, if you got the black Bibles in front of you, it's, it's page 435. It says this, surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to the darkness and searches out to the farthest limit. The ore in the gloom and the deep darkness, he opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as, of, as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires and it has dust of gold. That path no bird or prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not, the lion has not passed over it. Man has put his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye, his eye sees every precious thing. He dances with the streams so they do not trickle and the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. Verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found? 
Where shall wisdom be found? And, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be brought, it, it cannot be, it cannot be brought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, Ophir, I'm going to say that, and precious onyx or sapphire, gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. For where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our own ears. God understands the way to it. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, and when he made a decree for the rain and and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared, he declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Wow. <laughs> it is hidden. Man can't find it but God holds it. Job, one of the wisest guys, says this. Fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Someone else said, said Solomon, right? So, so we turn again to Proverbs. Hey, turn to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 9.10. Somebody read Proverbs 9.10 for us real quick. Good. Someone turn back to the beginning of Proverbs. One seven. Good job, JB. Thank you, brother. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hey, you could go through Proverbs and see it time and time and time again. If you go to James, James says that anyone that lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. I think they're on the same thread, don't you? I think we can conclude that what 111.10 is saying, that what... Job is saying that what Solomon is saying, what James is saying, what all of scripture is saying, where do we find wisdom? God holds all wisdom. God holds all wisdom. And when we fear him, when we, when we really, I mean, I mean, really put our faith in God who holds everything, including us, in his sovereign and perfect will, that's where we find wisdom. Wisdom that we need will be given when we actually come to a faith 
of a God who holds everything. Hey, some would say that the beginning, the word beginning here, would be more in the sense of, of this, that, that wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the, is the chief source of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, is, is not just the first place to find wisdom, but rather chief, the source. It's the authority of all wisdom. To fear the Lord is to confess his sovereignty over all and in all, and the pouring out of that is wisdom. And what does he say next? Those who practice it and obey it, it being this, the instruction and commandments of God, have good understanding. I love what Charles, Charles Spurgeon has to say on this um, in the section of all those who practice his commandments have good understanding. Charles Spurgeon says this, obedience to God proves that our judgment is sound. Why should he not be obeyed? Does not reason itself claim obedience for the Lord of all? Only a man void of understanding will ever justify rebellion against the holy God. Practical godliness is the test of wisdom. Men may know and, and be very orthodox. They may talk and be very eloquent. They may speculate and be very profound. But the best proof of their intelligence must be found in their actually doing the will of God. And when the fear of the Lord, when, when, when we fear the Lord, when we have the fear of the Lord and we receive wisdom, it should actually cause us to walk in obedience. This conclusion isn't, isn't a special revelation we come to. It's not something we come to on our own. It's actually, it's, it's, it's just the only logical outcome when we actually have a fear of the Lord. When we believe that God is who he says he is and we witness the works of him, the only logical outcome is obedience to his commands. So I guess I'm not always the most intelligent because I don't always do it. I often don't follow. I often don't obey. You call me a really dumb sheep sometimes. You're just trying to follow the shepherd. But man, I'm thankful for a God who loves me. Thankful that he's patient with me and he teaches me how to obey. Here's something incredible that God, God actually does when we obey him, when we follow his instruction. Hey, church, when we walk in the fear of the Lord and in obedience to him, he changes how we see and do things in our lives and among others. He actually gives us understanding. Can I show you something really cool? We're reading Psalm 111. Look at the next chapter here, Psalm 112. It's actually a, I don't know if it's a Siamese twin to this or just pairs up well with it, but it's intentional what's going on here. Psalm 112, it begins with, with this, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Sound familiar? His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously 
and lens, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He, he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Hey, what we see in Psalm 112 here is actually the, the, the outcome of what it looks like to fear the Lord. Um, what actually comes from this. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. His understanding in everything. Not because he's necessarily doing things better. Um, this, isn't, this isn't just like a health and wealth psalm right here. It's not like he's not getting things necessarily just because he's doing the right thing. This is not a health and wealth psalm. God is sovereign over all. Above conflict, this is what he sees here. God is sovereign over all. He's above conflict. He's greater than monetary struggles. He knows how to deal with people. He knows how to raise up his children. He knows how to deal with adversaries. Not because he's better, but because he fears the Lord, because he trusts the Lord, because he sees a bigger picture going on here than what's right in front of him. This is the God that we praise. This is why we praise him, because the outcome of, of our praise, because the outcome of seeing his works, the outcome of actually fearing the Lord is wisdom, and it changes how we see things, changes how we see people, it changes how we interact with people, it changes how we spend our money, it changes how we hold things in our hand. It actually moves us, it forms us into a different people. And in the end, all of this should bring us back to a never-ending and ever-increasing praise to a God who is worthy of all praise. Amen, church? It's like a cycle here. We praise God. We see his works. We fear him and increases our praise towards him. So let's praise him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Lord, thank you that your works are evident. Father, I pray that, that God, the, the works that we just read, the, the, the amazing things that we see you do don't just cause us to stand in awe, but Father, would you cause it to work in our hearts? God, would you, would you make it to where it forms us as a people who, who sit with our hands open saying, God, we have nothing but the fear of the Lord, knowing that you give and you take away and blessed be your name because you are worthy of it. God, we're your people and we thank you that you bless us. We thank you that you guide and correct us. God, you are a God full, full of worthiness and worthy to be prayed. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.